0: It's a good song. Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, we are thankful that you hide our soul. We're thankful, Lord, that you protect us God, we just thank you for the provision you make for us. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth to be reminded of in song tonight. I pray now that you'd bless the effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. God, that you'd use it to challenge us in the way that we might need to be challenged tonight. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began looking in chapter 7. We began looking in the first seven verses of this chapter. And you'll remember, possibly, that verse number 1 explained that Paul was addressing subjects that had been uh, addressed by the believers in Corinth. And so he was answering some of those things that they had brought to him by way of questions. And this had to do with the relationships between men and women, husband and wives. And he began by making it very clear that uh, people are not supposed to live in fornication, and he said you're not supposed to live together outside of marriage. It is not right for single people to live like married people. That'd be the simplest way that we could put it, and so he began by saying that. And then he also moved on to this subject, and it's not one that I'm going to spend a long time reviewing tonight, but he simply was explaining that in a marriage relationship there are physical needs on the part of the husband and on the part of the wife, and he said that it is the responsibility of the spouse to meet those physical needs. And something that he made very clear in his writing was this is that that was not his opinion, but rather that was the opinion of God. And so if a person is not meeting the physical needs and the desires of their spouse, then it's not just something you could say, well, that's just what I've decided to do with my own personal life. No, if we are not meeting the needs of our spouse, then we are violating God's Word. So how do we know if we're meeting the needs of our spouse? We have a conversation. We have an open and honest conversation, and we express what we think. We express how we feel. And then, as the one who is listening, it is the responsibility of the listener to respond in obedience. All right? Same energetic response as last week when I preached it. That's just the truth of it, okay? That is what the Bible teaches, even though it may make us feel awkward at times. Tonight I want to begin with a story that will take some time to develop, okay? So be patient in the building of this, and I hope that you'll understand the point of this in a few moments. Tonight I want you to imagine that you have a small child, four, five, six years old, something like that, and your child has been invited to go over to a friend's house and spend some time playing. That's not out of the ordinary. That is not unusual. That's probably happened in every family situation. So, your child goes over to this friend's house and they're going to be spending several hours together playing and doing what kids do. And so, through the course of their time together, here is what the other child says Hey, let's jump on the bed. Your child has never jumped on the bed before. Sounds fun. So they get on the bed, and they begin jumping up and down, and of course they're having a grand time. They're yelling, they're screaming, everything's great, everything's wonderful. And oddly enough, while the kids are doing this, the parents of that child walks by, sees everything, has no problem with it, and just continues on with what they're doing. A few weeks later, your child is invited to another friend's house. They're playing, they're doing what kids do, and in the course of conversation, the other child says to your kid, hey, you want to jump on the bed? Sure. I'll jump on the bed. So they get on the bed, they begin jumping, they begin yelling, they begin screaming, they begin having a wonderful time. And sure enough, just like the last time a parent walks by, sees the kids jumping on the bed, says nothing, and life moves on unbeknownst to you this happens several times in a row every time they go to another friend's house they're jumping on the beds they're having a wonderful time and the parents say nothing so one evening you come home from work you're sitting in the recliner you're sitting on the couch wherever it may be that you like to sit the kids are in their bedroom doing whatever it is your kids do Supper is being made, and as everything seems to be going normal, all of a sudden you hear a noise that sounds like the house is collapsing at the other end of the house. Immediately you get up, you go into their room, and what do you find? You find your kids jumping up and down on the bed. They're laughing, they're having a wonderful time, they're screaming, they're doing all these things, and if you're like me, here's what you say to your kids. What are you doing? What, what are you doing jumping on the bed? Now, if your kids are normal kids, if my kids are normal kids, here is what their response will be. It will look something like this. They'll look at you surprised, they'll look at you somewhat shocked, and they'll look at you as though you're the weird one. Right? And they'll say, well, we jumped on the bed at so-and-so's house, and I jumped on the bed at so-and-so's house, and I jumped on the bed at so-and-so's house, so I just assumed I could jump on the bed at our house. Now, again, if you're like me, what are you going to say to your child? You're going to say something like this. I don't care if they jump on their beds. I don't care if their parents let them jump on the beds. I don't care if every other kid in the world jumps on the bed. You're not jumping on our bed. You're going to tear our bed up. You're going to tear up the headboard. You're going to knock a hole in the wall, and and you might even fall and hurt yourself, and I'm not paying for your medical bills if you do that. Would your speech sound anything like my speech? You're not doing that. But all the other kids get to jump on the bed. Oh well, that's not how we operate here. Now imagine for just a moment as the kid is shocked and and totally surprised that you have just squelched all of their fun by not letting them jump on the bed, suppose you've got a somewhat logical child. Sometimes we're blessed with those. And suppose the child said something like this with a relatively good attitude and a relatively good spirit. Suppose the child said this. Well, Dad, did you ever jump on your bed when you were a kid? I don't know what your answer would be to that question. You might be able to say to your child, no, kid, I was not allowed to jump on the bed. I've never jumped on a bed in a day in my life. I'm I'm 42 years old. I've never got to jump on a bed. You might have to stand there and tell your child who asked a perfectly legitimate question. "I, I have jumped on the bed before. But here's the thing. Whether I did or whether I didn't, whether I have or whether I haven't, doesn't change the fact you will not be jumping on the house, uh, jumping on the bed in this house. You understand that? It doesn't matter if everyone else has jumped on their bed, and it doesn't even matter if I've jumped on a bed. You're not going to jump on the bed, period, end of discussion. We're not going to talk about this. Do we not, as parents, use that kind of logic sometimes? I mean, we use the same kind of logic in school. Study and get good grades. What were your grades? That's not the issue. I said study and get good grades. Now I'm wanting us to understand the logic that we use because truth be told, it's good logic. If that is not good, if that is not right, then I don't want you doing it whether I did it or not. Whether I was a success in that area or a failure in that area is not even a part of the conversation right now because I don't want you doing these things. Now why am I saying that? I'm saying that for this reason. Remember that the Corinthian believers have somehow communicated questions to Paul that they have about relationships. Husbands and wives and single people, and, and what we're going to see tonight is this, even divorced people. Questions are going to be presented to the Apostle Paul, and, and what he's already addressed is a result of certain questions, and what we're going to look at tonight is the result of certain questions being asked to him. They're asking him questions about relationships because 2,000 years ago there were issues with relationships. And tonight I want us to think about something, okay? And, and this is going to be the crux of the message, okay? And, and, and don't get nervous because you don't know what's going to be said throughout all of this. But, but here is what they're going to ask about. They're going to ask about divorce and remarriage. And Paul is going to give his response on the subject, And it is a subject that in our day and time needs addressing from a biblical standpoint for this reason. We live in a culture where, kind of like jumping on the bed and everybody jumps on the bed, we are living in a culture where it seems like everyone has been divorced and has been remarried, and it's almost like if you haven't been divorced and remarried, you're the odd one. You understand this? Do you know what the statistics, the statistics were several years ago? The statistics were this that if your marriage lasted longer than seven years, you had a longer than average marriage. Seven years. Over half of all marriages, as we know, end in divorce. And when a person is divorced and remarried, the statistics say that that marriage has a greater chance of ending in divorce than the first marriage. We cannot deny that this is a subject that needs to be addressed from the Scripture not to beat anyone up, but to remind us of what the Bible says because here is what we must remember and here is what we must know and here is what we should try to pass on to the next generation whether we have divorce in our past or not. It should be that we have a desire to say regardless of what my past looks like, I want you to have a biblical future by way of your relationship. Understand this. I, I may have a a checkered past. I may have somewhat of a of a flawed past as it relates to to a previous marriage or, or whatever it may be. But just because that is so, does not mean I cannot take a biblical position on the subject of divorce and remarriage. Because we live in a society today where relationships seem to be disposable. You understand this? It starts young with our children when parents are so goofy as to think it's cute that our kids have boyfriends and girlfriends that they can just easily discard and move on to the next one next week. Hello? So by the time they're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, they've had so many different boyfriends and girlfriends, they can't even begin to keep it all straight. And there's just this mentality of who cares, ditch this one and move on to the next one. And society thinks that that doesn't play into this idea of commitment. Commitment. We're living in a day where relationships are disposable. We don't value relationships the way that we ought. And so I'll say it again right now. We need a biblical position on the subject of divorce and remarriage. Because if we're honest, and you don't have to be, but if we're honest, here's what we know. It was never God's design, and it was never God's plan For marriages to end in divorce. That's not how he designed it. That's not how he created it. The only reason that divorce and remarriage has taken place is because of the sinfulness of men and women who think they have a better idea than God. So, tonight, I just want you to know I'm not going to be beating anyone up because I'm not mad at anyone. The Apostle Paul is not going to beat anyone up. So if you're divorced and remarried, you don't have anything to worry about tonight. We're just going to look at the Scripture. We're going to begin by looking in verse number 8. And notice what he said. He said, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. I think most of us know what Paul is talking about this evening whenever he writes of a widow. He is writing of one who was married, whose husband, whose spouse had passed away, and now they find themselves in the position of being single once more. We understand that, do we not? Now, as he says in verse number 8, he said, For I say this to the unmarried. Now, someone may read that, and they may jump to the conclusion that Paul is writing to someone who has never been married, but what some believe, based on the context of things and things that we will see in the weeks to come, is that whenever Paul is writing of those who are unmarried here in verse number 8, he is actually writing to those who have known marriage, but have also known in their life, going through the process of a divorce. So as he is writing in verse number 8... It says I say therefore to the unmarried and widows it is good for them if it is good for them if they abide or if they dwell or continue even as I myself Now remember in verse number 8 he is giving his position on this This is not something that he would be dogmatic on. This is not something that he would be uh, belligerent about. But this is something that would be his position. He said it is good or it is profitable or it would be beneficial For them to abide or to remain or to dwell, even as I, one who was single. Now, again, I'm just going to throw this out. Some are of the opinion, based upon what it would have required for Paul to be what he was in the Pharisaical religious system, there are some who believe that the Apostle Paul had been married and that most likely his wife had passed away. Now, that is speculation because no one knows for sure. But he does say very clearly in the context of widows and the unmarried that it would be good for them to remain in the position that he is in. And here is what any honest person knows, that when you enter into a relationship, as I mentioned last week, it complicates things. I thought marrying Susie was going to be nothing but adding perfect harmony into my life. I didn't know how long she could take getting ready. I didn't know how long it would take to get through the store. I didn't know what all it was going to do by way of disrupting this perfect little life that I thought I had going on. You and I cannot deny that there are certain, for lack of better words, and don't take this out of context, but there are certain benefits when you don't have to worry about anyone else. You may not be brave enough to amen it, but you can just amen that in your mind, okay? Amen. I got one fake amen. All right. Now, he said that it would be good for them to abide even as he... But notice what he said in verse number 9. But if they cannot contain, if they cannot maintain or handle this single life, he says, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. Now he's talking about to be controlled with this lust or to burn with this lust and this desire. For marriage. And so what Paul understood is this is not everyone has the call on their life to live a single life, though it might be best or good for them. So what he said is this is that if they cannot contain this desire, if they cannot contain this, this urge or this burning to get married, it would be better for them to marry than to burn because lust is going to produce all sorts of other sins in a person's life. So, he says in verse number 8, according to his position, that he speaks by way of permission and not of commandment. This is what I would recommend and this is what I would suggest. But notice what he says in verse number 10, to make clear that he is not making allowances for divorce and remarriage and giving his stamp of approval on it. He said in verse number 10, and unto the married I command But notice what he said next. Yet not I, but the Lord. So in verse number 10, this is very important that we see this. What he is saying in verse number 10 has transitioned from his opinion and his position on the matter to that of the opinion and the position of the Lord. And who is Paul writing to? He is writing to believers. So he said in verse number 10, and unto the married, who is that? That's the one who's got a husband or a wife. He didn't talk about whether or not this is your first wife, second wife, third wife, fourth wife, whatever it may be. First husband, second husband, third husband, whatever it may be. He just said, to the ones who are married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord Let not the wife depart from her husband. What does it mean to depart from her husband? It simply means this, to divorce the husband. So what is Paul saying? He's saying this, to all the wives out there, to all of you ladies who are married, he said, I am saying to you right now, as it relates to your husband, do not divorce him. Fairly simple, is it not? Verse number 11. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. What does it mean to put away the wife? It means this, to divorce her. So if you study this out really, really hard, if you get your Greek Bible and your Greek dictionary, you go back to the original language, and you study all this out, you know what it'll say? Ladies don't divorce your husbands, and husbands don't divorce your wives. But what does that really mean? It means ladies don't divorce your husbands, and husbands don't divorce your wives. Stay married. if separation does uh, does occur, verse number 11, he said, here's how you handle this. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. For the believer... Let's just say the wife says, I cannot do this, I cannot handle this, this is, this is not what I signed up for. And Paul, I, I hear what you're saying, I, I just can't do this. I, I've got to divorce my husband. He says, okay, if, if that's what you do, then here is what the Lord says, you don't get married again. Unless, of course, you're reconciling your marriage to your husband. Is that what it says? It's what it says. So Paul is writing and he said, you know, I I would have it. And it would be good if the unmarried and the widows were even as I. But if they cannot contain themselves, it would be better for them to marry than to burn. That's my position on it. But I want you to be reminded of God's position on marriage, Paul said. Wives don't divorce your husbands, and husbands don't divorce your wives. And wives, if you take off, you can't get remarried to the next Don Juan who takes your breath away. The only person that you are allowed to marry is your husband when you reconcile things with him. Now that's two believers, now, I want to say this, okay, and this is very, very important that you understand this that what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is addressing a very small piece of the marital pie. You understand what I'm saying? There's much more about marriage in the scripture than what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 7. And so I want to be very clear on this so that somebody wouldn't take this out of context and and try to paint me in a bad light. I'm not suggesting that if a woman is a man's punching bag that she can't, you know, separate herself and has to continue putting up with this. You you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we can use a little bit of common sense here. If he's coming home every night, getting drunk and beating her every night, it's not her responsibility to just stay there and get beat up every night. If she's out sleeping around and she's out fooling around while the husband is at home, it's not, from what I can tell according to Scripture, his responsibility to stay at home and just let her go out and run wild and then accept her back and there not be any kind of a consequence to it. There is a greater portion of of context that we have to consider, but what I'm saying tonight is this, is under normal circumstances in a relationship between a saved man and a saved woman, it is not the right of either spouse to terminate the marriage. Why is that important? Why is it important to remember that? It is important to remember that for this reason. Many, many marriages do not dissolve over the extreme problems in that relationship. Most marriages dissolve because the man or the woman does not want to fulfill what God's word has to say about marriage and their basis for ending the marriage has nothing to do with any kind of a biblical base or a biblical argument. Boredom is not an excuse for divorce and remarriage. Now, to you and I, that may seem so basic, but I'm telling you, read. Listen to people talk. Hear people's stories. And you know what you'll hear so many people say? They'll say, well, you know, the, the marriage just got old. Well, duh. I mean, I've discovered after 21 years, I mean, there aren't many secrets at this point. I know Susie fairly well. She knows me fairly well. There are not a lot of tricks left up our sleeve, so to speak. And yet just because we know each other well, and it's not that dating stage that we had 22 years ago, that is not an excuse for us to say, you know what, it's just time to go our different directions. It seems so obvious, it seems so basic that I wouldn't need to say this, but but we even in churches need to be reminded of this, that that it's not just enough of an excuse to get a divorce because, well, you know, they're not as attractive as they once were. If Susie had put a weight limit on me, she would have divorced me a long time ago. If she had said you've got to maintain this and you've got to do this and, and you've got to you know have a certain amount of hair on your head to to still be good looking with me, you know, I, I would have said, Well, you have to find you someone else. Because I'm thinning on top and I'm expanding around the waist and I'm turning into my dad. And I swore I wasn't going to do that. Every once in a while I see glimpses of my mother-in-law. And I have to fight that reflux. Hold on, I love my mother-in-law, I just never wanted to marry her. And don't act like you always wanted to marry your mother-in-law. I was going to say, you can amen that, man, if you're man enough. You didn't want to marry your mother-in-law. But the point I'm saying is this. Just because I'm seeing glimpses of Sandy in our relationship doesn't mean, well, you know, it's time for me to go find someone new. Boredom is not an excuse. The actions are not the excuse. These these little habits and, and annoying traits that they have adopted somewhere along the way, that's not an excuse. Did you know that you have annoying habits? (laughs) You do! I would tell you one of mine, but you'd be grossed out and you'd be like, no, I didn't need to know that. It's just, I'm just saying, that's not an excuse for Susie to leave me, and, and her annoying habits are not enough for me to leave her and find someone else. Because at some point, here's what we've got to remember. That other person is going to get boring, and that other person is going to, to take on traits of people that you didn't know they were going to take on, and they're going to get these annoying habits. And what society does not seem to focus on and what society does not seem to realize is that is not enough to bring a marriage to a close. And I'm telling you that there are so many people, even in churches, who are about that deep when it comes to their relationship and their mindset toward it. I don't know what to tell you to spice it up. But that's your responsibility, not the preacher's. I don't know what to tell you about our changing looks, other than to remind yourself that you've changed also. I don't know what to tell you about their annoying habits, but again, I would just say you've got annoying habits. And so this evening, I just want to close with a couple of practical thoughts, okay, that, that, that I want us to understand that this is a biblical position by way of marriage. No matter, listen, don't, don't get all too comfortable right now. That means you'll stop listening. Thank you, Brother Dub. I want us to have a biblical position on marriage, whether it's our first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, or whatever it is, okay? So here are some practical things that we need to remember, whether we're as spotless in this area as we would like to be or not. The first thing is this, is that as whoever we are married to right now, it is God's plan for us to be married to them for the rest of our lives, It is until death do us part. It is God's plan. It is God's desire. It is God's intent. For Susie and I to be married until one of us passes away. And you might sit here and say this evening, Well, Brother Kyle, I'm not on my first marriage like you are. It's so easy for you to say that. I am telling you this from the authority of Scripture, that if you are divorced and you are remarried, what is in the past is in the past. You cannot go back and change that. You cannot go back and fix that. But what you can do is this, is that you can determine that the person that I am married to right now, that is who God is expects me to stick with until this life comes to a close, either for myself or them. End of discussion. And I would take it a step further. This is not supposed to be a marriage of endurance. It is supposed to be a marriage of enjoyment. A marriage that brings glory and honor to the Lord. There are many people, I've said this many, many times, but there are many people, and they are married, but they are miserable. They are not bringing glory and honor to the Lord. They are miserable people. This should not be, for you and I, a marriage of endurement or endurance, but it should be a marriage of... Of absolute enjoyment if you are married God wants you to stay married to that person for the rest of your life and he wants you to enjoy that marriage well I'm not enjoying my marriage very much then start working on it because marriage is designed by God to be forever let me remind us of this. Not being married to our spouse should never be something we think about, dwell upon, or talk about with anyone. Because what we think about will one day become action. And what we dwell upon will eventually rob us of our joy and our gladness. You understand this? That if you're not totally happy in the marriage that you have right now, I am sorry it is not me who forced you to marry that person. God wants you to stay with them forever for life until death do you part. That is God's plan. That is God's desire. That is what He wants. He wants you to enjoy it. And if you're not happy right now, you daydreaming about not being married to that person will not get you over the hump, so to speak, and let you enjoy your marriage. The more you dwell on how miserable you are will make you more miserable. The more you think about the idea and the more you may talk about it with someone else, this idea of just divorcing and just moving on with your life, I want to remind us it doesn't matter where we're at in life, if we dwell on that and think upon that, not only will we make ourselves miserable, one day we will act upon it. And if you think that Satan is not attacking marriages in churches today, marriages that have been intact 10, 15, 20, 25 years, if you don't think Satan's not attacking those marriages, you are not paying attention. Amen. We've got to remember that it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing in this world, it doesn't matter how familiar our society is with divorce and remarriage. God doesn't want me to be divorced and remarried ever again. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to enjoy this marriage. I cannot dwell upon and think about the ideas of not being with my wife or you being with your husband. I cannot dwell upon or talk about the idea of divorce or leaving that sorry individual. I can't do it because that will lead to problems. And then I want to say this, no matter what our past is, no matter what the story is on our life, because of what God's Word says, We need to be teaching our children and our grandchildren that God's plan and God's desire is one man, one woman for life, separated only by death. But see, if we're guilty of jumping on the bed, we may not want to tell our kids to not jump on the bed. That's faulty logic. Amen. The same would be true, well, you know, I, I'm divorced, and, 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 and who am I to say anything? You are a person who knows what the Word of God says and we ought to have a biblical position. And because of that, no matter what our past looks like, no matter what our story is, we need to be saying to our children and to our grandchildren, hey, listen, these things called relationships, these are some of the most important decisions and choices you can ever make, and you better make sure you are getting the right one. She may be pretty, but if she's not godly, she will mess your world up. He may be handsome right now, but if he's not a child of God and living for the Lord, he is going to ruin your life, honey. We have already had conversations with Nathan and Hannah and Leah, and I've looked at certain people in their lives, and I've used them as examples, and I've said things like this, Kids, do you want something like that? No, Daddy, we don't want anything like that. Okay, then here's what you do. You better make sure, kids that you make good decisions in your relationships because you do not want to go down that lifestyle or go down that road. That's not me being critical. That's just me saying that this is what the Bible says, and I want to protect you kids from hurts and pains that you will experience if you don't do it God's way. So you understand if you're honest tonight. I'm not beating one person up. I'm not saying, Well, I know what you're guilty of and God loves me more. That's not at all what I'm saying. The only way you could have that attitude is if you want to twist what I've said out of context and run with it in your mind. What I am saying to you tonight is this is if you're unmarried or you're a widow. Paul said it probably best. Probably be best if you stayed in the position like he was in. But if you can't contain yourself, it'd be better for you to get married than to burn. And for those of you who are married, I'm just reminding us you don't have an excuse for divorce under normal circumstances, in a normal situation. God wants us to stay together forever. Not endure, but enjoy. We can't think about divorce. We can't dwell upon single life. We can't talk about it with our buddies or the girlfriends. We can't do that. And we need to be teaching the next generation this is what God's word says, and you want to make sure you make wise decisions in this area. We need a biblical perspective on this, no matter what the world around us looks like. Alright, so I'll stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Lord, no matter what the past may be of the person sitting here this evening, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded of what your word teaches, of what your word declares, what your desires are, that a man and a woman would come together and stay together till death do us part. And so, God, I pray that you'd just remind us of that, confirm it once more in our hearts and minds. And, God, regardless of our past, I pray that you'd help us to teach the next generation what your word declares, no matter what is going on around us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.